Come on. Savage, a savage approach to personal finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome today's guest, the strong and powerful Rick Unzer. Rick, are you ready to do this? Let's do it, my friend. Excellent. Let's do this. Rick is a Forbes contributor, the host of 401k Friday's podcast, a 401k plan consultant, and problem solver for complex 401k plans. I'm excited to have you on. Rick, tell us a little bit about your personal life, your professional background, and why it is you do what you do. Yeah, personally, I am uh, a proud husband, father of three, and love living here in the uh, beach cities just outside of L.A. And professionally, I kind of got into this whole retirement financial advisor thing right out of college and just fell in love with the industry and the possibilities and started as a individual financial advisor, sort of morphed into working with companies and have really been working exclusively with companies that sponsor retirement plans since about 2002, which is, dare I say, about 16 years at this point. Crazy. Time flies, right? Right. (laughs) Especially when you're having fun, right? Especially when you are having fun. Yes. So what we are hoping to accomplish today is to help the users of 401ks, the plan participants, make heads and tails over uh, some of the the recent changes that the industry has been making. So let's just kind of start with a, a, a big big question, which is why why are these changes happening? What is motivating them? Yeah, and I think it, kind of an overarching statement to that, it, and I think this is helpful for everybody, hopefully, is you can't invest your way out of a savings problem. Mm. Not my statement. I I certainly didn't make it up. I've heard that over the years, but I think more than ever, that is so important for employees to hear. But I also think it's kind of a driving factor behind a lot of what's going on with some of the plan design changes or other things that employers are doing to their retirement plans to help their participants close that gap between maybe the path they're on today and the path they should be on to have a successful transition into retirement on a timely basis. Yeah, I love it. You cannot invest your way out of a savings problem. So that is good stuff. And I think that everybody's probably aware of of the fact that we as Americans are doing kind of a lousy job with that whole savings problem. So that is what the, the big companies are trying to, to help with is making things a little bit more automated, yep. for example. Um, and uh, yep. you know what? Perhaps people get pushback or, or they get irritated when all of a sudden the amount of money that's coming out of their paycheck is, is more than it used to be. But that's I don't think that it's, it's, it's not like it's a nefarious plan by Big Brother or the man or the woman messing with their money. It's just trying to help people to become more successful savers. Yeah, absolutely. And about 10 years ago, this whole automatic enrollment thing got a little blessing from the federal government that said that employers could use this without fear of being sued or other reprisal. So that's when things really took off was 2007, 2008. And maybe some of your listeners have been part of an automatic enrollment plan. Maybe some of your listeners have had that described to them or offered to them as 
they're working with new employers. But to your point, don't fight it. It's a good thing. Employers are doing this because they realize and, and that the numbers are out there. The studies have been done that un- unfortunately a lot of us just don't take the action or don't take action maybe as soon as we should to start saving, to make those contributions. And automatic enrollment has been a huge tool within the industry and and with employers to raise participation, meaning the number of employees within a employer or within your company that are actively contributing to the plan. They're raising contribution rates. And it's just an all overall, those combined just add to the success rate for you as you approach retirement. So it's a good thing. Yeah. It, and now that you have uh, 10 years or so of of data to, to, to kind of comb through, it sort of proves that, that it is a positive thing. I remember hearing about this uh, so, some years ago, and I'm unfortunately going to going to sort of butcher it, but the organ donation um, yep. percentages in Germany versus Belgium, one of them, I think Belgium, automatically puts you into the program, and Germany, and it might be vice versa, does not. And the one that automatically puts you in, 90% of them are in the program, and those that have to opt in, only 10% are. So, yeah. Yeah, whether uh, hey, I'm not sure the countries are right myself either, but I, your <laughs> sure. stats are your stats are dead on, and that's the important part. Right. So, but and that's and on the 401k side, it's it wasn't quite that big of a, an issue because again, a lot of people they get it, they should be saving in their retirement plan, they should be contributing. So, the stats though have changed very very dramatically from participation rates that were in, you know, let's call it the mid 70s. So 75, 77%, somewhere right around there to now plans that are using automatic enrollment. It's not uncommon to see those, uh, those participation statistics, 92, 93, even, even higher as a percentage of the eligible employees in a, in a particular company. Nice. And I think that that only breeds confidence in people that maybe weren't saving or weren't saving quite as much as it takes to be financially successful long term. But once they see those balances and they say, okay, it's not so bad, um, I think that that's really going to lend itself to moving beyond just or helping people move towards more self-discipline. Because first you need structure. And then once you have successful structure and successful habits, then you can be more self-disciplined. So... So what are some other examples of of these new trends that have been going on? One of the other ones is what we would call the stretch match. Okay. So it's not torturing the match necessarily, <laughs> but what, what we have seen, and this kind of plays into some rules of thumb that have been uh, perpetuated out in the marketplace, is some employees, some people that are saving for retirement, the, the, the advice they hear or the guidance they're given is, hey, save up to what your employer is going to match in your retirement plan at work. And sometimes it continues with, don't put any more in, you know, put anything else into an IRA or somewhere else. Okay. Um, but long story short, what, you know, from the interaction I have with, with a lot of employees and participants, it's, hey, I should just put in up to the match, right? And, and and for one reason or another, that has been kind of beaten into people's heads. So I, I'm on a certain point, I'm glad that people have gotten that message. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same point in time, the way that some employers were designing their matches uh, wasn't really helping employees save enough to 
be on a good path to retirement. So, for example, some employers thought they were being really, really generous and matching 100% on the first 3% that an employee contributes, okay. right? So, hey, we're going to give you a dollar for dollar up to the first 3% that you put into the plan. On the surface, wow, as an employer, we are being super generous. As an employee, hey, I have to put in 3% to get the match. Awesome. But when you do the math, that's 6%. Right. If you're just following that advice. And, you know, George, I would imagine you've talked a little bit about this on, on your podcast, but 6% isn't quite going to make it or help you make it to a point where you're going to be able to successfully make a transition into retirement. That's not going to get the job done. Yeah. I mean, I don't What do you share or what have you typically seen as more, you know, standard numbers or recommended savings rates? Well, the, the answer is more, but obviously that's, that's just a throwaway answer. It's got to be, you got to start with 10% and then try to get to 15%. But if people don't like percentages, another way to think about that, which I just had a conversation with somebody on the show a little while back, Pete the Planner, he said, in today's world, you need to be a millionaire to be able to retire. You need to have at least a million dollars saved. And for a lot of people, that maybe sounds like it's this massive amount of, of money, and it's not an inconsequential amount of money. But if you think that you're going to retire for 30 years on $200,000, you're out of your mind. So you do need to get up to 10% and then try to get to 15%. So Yep. Yeah, and that's very consistent with, I, with what I've seen and heard from others. And so coming back to the stretch match is – that employer who is offering to contribute 3% of salary towards an employer match, well, now instead of staying at that 100% on three, what we're finding is that a lot of employers are saying, okay, well, let's encourage people to save more. Let's use some of the beliefs that have been instilled into those saving for retirement that they need to save up to what the employer is willing to match on. So we're now going to move our match from 100% on three to 50% on six. Okay. So same dollar amount. They're not taking anything away, but as an employee, now you need to save 6% and you'll still get the 3% from the company. But now to your point, George, you're coming closer to that 10 mm -hmm. and then you're, and you're within striking distance of 15. If you can over time, save a little bit more on your own as you, whether it be get more comfortable or, uh, you know, savings becomes more important in your life, et cetera. Yeah. Now, I could see somebody listening to this and like, well, they're still kind of playing with my money a little bit. But at the end of the day, all they're trying to do, all these organizations, companies are trying to do is incentivize people through basic psychology to save more money. So, yep. it, and, and, and it's proven out in so many different studies that have been done. I mean, that's one really neat thing about the 401k industry is that, I mean, if you think about it, it's only really been around since the early 80s. Right. Uh, it really started to take hold in the 90s. So we're, we're dealing with something that's only about 20-ish years old, 25 years old, as a real cornerstone to how people are saving for their eventual retirement. So the industry's learning everyone's learning as we go along with this and the tools have gotten better. The resources have gotten better. But one thing that has been very consistently proven out is some of these concepts in behavioral finance, you know, Richard Thaler just won a uh, Nobel prize for this. And it's that, you know, it, 
individuals, all of us, have certain tendencies and have certain beliefs that, that are sort of built in. And if you can use some of those to help your employees move farther down the path to retirement, then you're crazy not to. Right. Right. It's all like you were talking about at the top. Um, it's a savings problem. And yep. when something's a problem, you need to make it a process. But let's just use a better term. If you're currently not in the habit of saving money and you spend all of your money, then those are bad habits. And that's a bad habit that needs to be replaced with a good one. And this is simply, I'm kind of beating the horse over and over again here. This is simply the means of helping you get to the point where you are able to take personal responsibility of your personal financial situation. So, so it is a savings problem, number one. Um, obviously, we want to have good returns, and we also want to have low fees. How has the industry been trending in that direction? Yeah, there's been so much focus on fees within the industry. And I think that certainly fees are important. Fees have been coming down in the industry over the last several years, whether that be from record keeping, which is the group that you, you know, if you log on to a website or if you get your statement from this organization, that that's your record keeper, uh, consulting fees, uh, investment fees, all of these have been, been trending down. But what I've started to see is a little bit of a, I don't know, I don't know if it's unnatural, but just a, a focus on fees by you know some employees where it's, I just want the lowest cost options, period. Right. I, I don't I don't really care about anything else other than I, I want to pay the lowest fee possible. Mm -hmm. And I, I get it. and that and that totally makes sense on the surface. And but what I think, people need to be thinking a little bit about is what are you aligning yourself with as a strategy if you're only focused is on cost. And on the investment side of things, usually that's going to mean you're choosing passive or index funds. Right. And hey, I think there is a, a role for index funds. I think they are a hugely valuable tool. Uh, you can't argue that they've been a successful strategy, but what we've been talking to a lot of our clients about on the employer level, and I think is good for you know the end users or employees to to hear, is that you know, index funds kind of ebb and flow in performance and and what they're doing, and certainly over the last several years. I mean, think about where we are as we sit here recording this at the you know end of April of 2018. You know, we are nine plus years into a very, very strong bull market where risk has been certainly rewarded and index funds has a really a raw exposure to risk in a particular asset class have done really, really well. Again, no, ar no arguing with that. But I think the one thing that some people lose and I just want to and I want to reiterate these messages is, hey, if you're just focused on cost and you understand the risk, awesome, go for it. But if you're buying into a low cost strategy because you also think it's always going to deliver the best performance, <laughs> you need to make sure you, you understand what you're really buying. And, and I think that's one thing that I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about right now in the market is I think there's some unrealistic expectations of what index funds are and what they can deliver. And I think if people don't have the right expectations around 
yes, index index funds are cheap. Yes, they've delivered some good historical performance, but that doesn't mean they are always going to do that. They will always be cheap, but they will they might not always deliver, you know, the quote unquote best performance out in the marketplace. So just something for people to keep in the back of their heads. Yeah, I think that that's that's an excellent way to uh, way to think about that. It's because when the market does really well, the index funds do really well. But then when the market does really, really bad, the index funds are probably going to do really, really bad too. And and are you prepared for that? If you're prepared for it and you understand that your time horizon is, is long and that's no big deal, then that's fine. But if when it goes down, it causes you to pull all of your money out, then that's exactly the opposite of what we're trying to do. So. Yep. Yeah, and I've had some really interesting conversations over the years with employees, with folks that are making decisions about retirement plans. And and again, I, I think a lot of the theoretical and academic work or reports or research and everything else on index funds, I think is it all makes sense. But but you hit it on the on the on the head there, George. The emotional aspect of employees who aren't understanding what they've bought when they see something that goes down 20, 30, 40%, and it's like, oh my gosh, did I just make a mistake? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I bought this because I read it in a magazine or, you know, Joe Blow told me and he's not at the company anymore or whatever. Um, are, are, do, are they going to have that intestinal fortitude to hold on and then benefit as things move back up over time? Or are they going to abandon their strategy? And that's one of the things that we talk a lot about with employers is abandonment risk in down markets. Are your employees going to abandon their strategies, move to cash, move to other investment strategies where they're essentially going to get off the ride at the wrong time? So, will your plan survive its collision with reality? <laughs> yeah, I like that. Yes, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. That's a very, very good go. Mike Tyson quote right there. So, yep. Well, Rick, let's talk a little bit about target date funds, something that have found their way into, I would imagine, the majority of retirement plans at this point. Yeah, and I'm going to say 80-plus percent of plans are using target date funds these days. If you look at the you – know, if you're really a 401k nerd or just nerd in the industry and you look at where money is flowing, it is disproportionately flowing into target date funds. Mm-hmm. So it, they are they're a reality. They are a driving force within the you know within the 401k marketplace. And I, I think overall, if there's been a good strategy used to select the target date funds by your employer, um, I think they're a good thing. And when I look at the landscape of consumers or people that are using retirement plans, We could probably argue the numbers a little bit, but let's call it – I'll just use something broad – between 50 and 75 percent of employees that are in a 401k plan saving for retirement, most of them don't really care or want to think too much about investments. Right. I I mean I I mean maybe for some of your listeners that's – oh my gosh. You know What do you mean? How can they not – how can they not? Mm -hmm. Um, But the the reality is is that there's a big percentage of – the investing public that are using retirement plans that are relying on a balance in a 401k plan that they're in charge of, for lack of a better word, to save for their retirement. And instead of them 
proverbially throwing darts or just picking one investment and hoping for the best or hitting the select all option and choosing every investment in the plan, um, I, I think target date funds are a great tool for a lot of people. And even someone that's relatively sophisticated, hey, I, I think a target date fund is something that, that is worth, you know, is, is worth, a, worth a look. Um, is it for everybody? Absolutely not. Uh, you know, I just had a great conversation on my podcast where I had a target date fund manager and a, uh, and, a, and a group, Financial Engines, actually, that runs managed accounts. And we talked about some of the, some of the misperceptions around targeted funds and managed accounts. And, and one of the consensus things that we came away with, even from the target date sponsor, is, hey, we get it. It's not for everybody, but it's for a lot of people. And if you feel like you're more sophisticated or you feel like you need additional help other than what a singular strategy that would be offered for every 35-year-old or every 50-year-old in a target date fund offers, then, hey, you know, use a managed account, get some outside help, control your own investments. Absolutely. But they, I, the one thing I want to make sure that comes across is that target date funds have a role. They benefit a lot of people. It might not be everyone. But there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of good things for their retirement uh, because of the rise of target date funds in uh, workplace retirement plans. I, I appreciate that. And <clears throat> sometimes complexity is good, but I think more often than not, simplicity can be extremely valuable for people. And target date funds do make saving for your retirement pretty easy. So, well, Rick, Savage Nation is ready for your difference making tip. What do you have for them? Well, I hate to be boring and repetitive, but I, I honestly think if people are going to take one thing away from this, it's you can't invest your way out of a savings problem. It's it's it, it, it makes sense. It's it's good advice. It's something I heard a long time ago, uh, both as an individual trying to save for my own retirement as well as a practitioner in the business. And I think a lot of people, unfortunately, spend a lot of energy on what can they be investing in? What strategy can they find that you know will provide them with the best rate of return when maybe if they could reappropriate some of that energy to figuring out how to save more, figuring out how to create a budget, live within their means, whatever the case is, I think that energy would go a lot farther than you know trying to find the next great investment. Well, that was great stuff at the top of the show, and it's great stuff now, and that definitely gets a come on. Come on. So, well, Rick, thank you so much for coming on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? You can find me at uh, 401kfridays.com or just search 401k Fridays on iTunes for my uh, for the podcast, or you can just search uh, Rick Unser at Forbes if you want to see some of the stuff, stuff I'm doing there, and certainly would love anybody if you want to reach out on Twitter or LinkedIn, welcome to do that as well. Excellent. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Rick your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. Go check out 401k Fridays and listen to his excellent podcast. Read his Forbes contributions and find him on social media. Thank you again, Rick. You're welcome. That was fun. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we're all in this together. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing. Leave us a review. And definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.